good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliani here on another awesome Sunday night, and this is the Gift of Grace where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. I hope you've had an awesome week. Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 3, talking about the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And what I thought was going to be one program is now going to be at least two, (laughs) because here we are in the second one. And I think it might be worth reading the passage again, so you know where we're coming from. I'm sure you all know this. Um, I'll give you a second to turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. I'm sure you know about John the Baptist. I'm sure you know about the baptism. If you've been to Israel, there is a uh, beautiful site along the Jordan called Yardinit, where the baptism was um, to have been done. And it's kind of a neat place to go because there's always people in the water and there's always people being baptized. Then there's always church groups in the water. And it's it's really kind of neat just to be there and hang around. But this takes place in the wilderness. And, of course, things were much less developed then than they are now. I should say that at this site called Yardinit, it's accepted as the baptism by the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches. The Eastern Orthodox churches believe that it was a little bit farther down river, which is much more desert-like, but we're not going to really know exactly where it was. These were, these most of these places in the Holy Land were determined by tradition and word of mouth and so forth. But if you've been there, you know it's a very memorable place, and my wife and I have been to Israel many times, and we never we never not go to Yardinit. Sometimes we go twice in the same trip. It's really kind of a neat place to hang around, and they have a really great restaurant there too, <laughs> which wasn't there in the time of Jesus, I might add. But you probably already knew that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to this baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. 
Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Oh, so, great message, very interesting message. I would suggest if you missed last week's program, if you go to one of my websites, which is www.giftofgraceministries.org, that's giftofgraceministries.org. There is a tab there called uh, Gift of Grace Radio. You'll find all the programs archived beginning in 2009. So there's a lot of programs there. But part one of this, well, I don't know if it's going to be a series or not, is there. And we talked about the messenger coming, and we talked about mikvah, which is, of course, the uh, cleansing ritual, which is prescribed in Torah. It has to be done at certain times in your life, certain biological times, you might say, certain changes in your life. It is a um, prefigurement of cleansing because the running water takes dirt away from your body. And it's first prescribed for Aaron, the high priest, where God tells Moses that Aaron has to be in the water, in the mikvah, before he can be clothed with all the beautiful garments of, of the high priest. And we also talked about how repentance is the way into the kingdom. John the Baptist proclaims that here. Jesus proclaims it shortly after. <laughs> and the only way into the kingdom is repentance. And of course, John also mentions that the one who they don't know, who he who he's not worthy to even carry his sandals, is there now, and he is going to be a judge. In fact, we're going to talk about that um, in a minute because we also talked about the passage of the Pharisees uh, coming. And, you know, saying that uh, he calls them a brood of vipers, which, of course, when you call a group of religious leaders a brood of vipers, you don't make, you don't endear yourself to them. And so they, they, they go to listen, they go out of curiosity, they go to see what's going on, but they don't want to hear this. And John even knows what they're going to say that they're children of Abraham. And John points out, and Paul will point out later in the book of Romans, that not everyone who's descended from Abraham is spiritual Israel. Those of us that are Gentiles and are believers, we are spiritual children of Abraham. We have Abraham as our father, because Jesus, uh, Paul points this out in uh, many places, but my favorite reference is, Galatians 
So rather than go through all that and going off on some more tangents, I would say you read Galatians 3.13 for your homework. But the promises of Abraham now apply to the Gentiles because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so the Pharisees are there not because they want to repent, because remember, they don't think they have anything to repent from. And when they hear John talking about repentance as the way into the kingdom, they become even more resistant. So Jesus comes onto this scene. Now, he has been very obscure up to now. We have the, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, and at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we have genealogies, we have John the Baptist's parents, we have Mary being told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and the, the son that she's going to have is going to be called the Son of the Most High and that his name is going to be Jesus, Yeshua, which means salvation. And we have the nativity narrative. We have the infancy narratives. And so Luke describes that pretty well. But then after that, other than a brief description of Jesus in the temple when he's 12 years old, we don't hear anything more about him. He's a young boy. He's a teenage boy. He's a man in his 20s. We get no information in Scripture about him in any, well, in zero detail. Presumably, Joseph taught him the trade of being a carpenter. Actually, the Greek means more of a craftsman. He probably didn't just work with wood, but with stone and I don't know what else. But he was pretty obscure up until this point of coming to the Jordan. He comes on the scene, whether it was at Yardinit or someplace nearby or some totally different place, we will never know for sure. But he comes to this point in the fullness of time, like everything else. Everything God does is in the fullness of time. Everything happens at appointed times. We talked about this around Christmas time concerning his birth. Now he comes to John at an appointed time. He is going from the obscurity of working in the wood shop, of making furniture, of making wooden products, of making stone walls and various things, you know, in the chosen, it shows him fixing a wagon axle. We don't know everything that he did, but he was an obscure workman, more or less. Everybody in the town knew him. He had grown up there among them. They knew him at the synagogue. But he, his obscurity was in a normal life where there was no attention called to him that we know of. And interestingly, his ministry begins in the wilderness, not in Jerusalem, but begins in the wilderness, begins in the wilderness around the Jordan River. 
And it's even more interesting to think that the New Testament begins in the wilderness. The New Covenant begins in the wilderness. And the Old Covenant, the covenant of law, also began in the wilderness where Moses received the law. That also occurred in the wilderness. So it's kind of interesting. And here, what I really like about this is that he, Jesus humbly presents himself to John. He comes from the glories of heaven. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians that, you know, for, for our sake he became poor. But he comes from the glories of heaven to, as I like to say, to live in our garbage dump. And I don't care how nice your house is. I don't care how, one, how many things you have, how many wonderful cars you have. You live in a garbage dump of darkness and sin. And so he comes into this area, into this time and space capsule, and he presents himself to John. Now, why does he do it at that point? Well, one of the rules of the mikvah is you go to the mikvah when you are having a change in the status of your life. He was having a very profound change in the status of his life. He was going now from being a workman, a craftsman, to beginning his earthly ministry which was going to lead to the cross and the resurrection. This was why he came. This was why he was born. This is why the plan, like the book of Revelation tells us, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The plan of salvation was made even before anything was created. So this was the time where he was going to begin the earthly ministry. You know, later on, Jesus was going to say there, there was no, no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's an interesting thought, because other than Adam, every other man who's ever been born has been born of a woman, including Jesus. So he says no greater person has ever been, no other greater man, no greater man has ever been like this. But he says the least in the kingdom are greater than him, than he is. So that's, that's a hard thing to wrap your head around. Because of course, like Paul says, God's power is perfected in our weakness. And strength and power is in our, is in our our humility. So humble people are the ones that come into the kingdom because they know they are sinners. They know that they need forgiveness. They understand that they have to repent. Powerful people, rich people, royal people, religious leaders do not know that. These religious leaders, at least, did not know that. They felt that they had no need of repentance because they were holy and nobody else was. So this is really quite a um, 
tribute to John the Baptist that Jesus presents himself to him to go through what actually was the practice of the mikvah when you have a change in status of your life. And of course, we, we know that John preached a baptism of repentance. And later on, Jesus is going to talk about that. Paul is going to talk about that. How John was doing a baptism of repentance. Jesus, of course, had nothing to repent of, but he was following the law and some of the traditions of the people. And as you always hear me say, if Jesus had not followed the law, had he not kept even one of the laws, he could not be the Messiah, because then he would be in rebellion to God's law. And I know that Today, nobody likes to talk about sin. Nobody likes to talk about repentance. We all think we're wonderful, and we all think that we're good, and we all just tolerate everything, and we don't hurt each other's feelings, and isn't this wonderful? The issue is that everyone is a sinner, and this is why he came. And he had to live the law perfectly in his humanity in order to be the unblemished sacrifice. And so he presents himself, not in repentance, he presents himself as mikvah. (laughs) And he's going to say later, you know, when John objects, and he does, that Jesus says to him, all righteousness has to be fulfilled. In other words, we have to do this. You have to give in to this for now because I have to keep the law. And I understand what you're saying. I should be baptizing you. I understand what you're saying. You don't need to be baptized, but you have to do it so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. John does, in fact, object. Wait a minute. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You should be baptizing me. Why, why, why are you doing this? very similar to what Peter did at the Last Supper. You're not going to wash my feet. You're not, no no way, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you you, you can't come into my kingdom. And then, of course, Peter says, then wash all of me. I'm not going to miss coming into the kingdom. Just wash all of me. So they both object. They bo- they, neither one of them can believe what's happening. John knows and feels, he, and he knows, that he's not worthy of this. Just like his mother Elizabeth, who was pregnant with him, and Mary goes to visit her, she's pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth says she's not, wor- he's, she's not worthy that the mother of her Lord should come to her. People understand where they stand. At this point, John the Baptist understands what his position is. And he says, I'm a sinner. I'm the one who needs righteousness. You're the Messiah. You have nothing to repent of. 
I'm the one who needs forgiveness. I'm the one who needs righteousness. He knows that he needs more. And he knows that Jesus can do more for him than anyone else he's ever met. He knows what his need is. And this is true for true believers. This is not just humiliating yourself. This is understanding who you are and what you are. Because if you don't understand who you are and what you are, you won't go to the cross. You'll feel that, well, if you do enough good things, if you say enough prayers, if you stand in the right place, that somehow everything's going to work out in the end. But people who are humble and know what, what they are understand that they need forgiveness. John understood this. He sees his need. But he still can't believe that this is the Messiah. This is the God-man coming to him. And how can you possibly deserve that? How can we possibly deserve anything? And I'm talking about we as me and all of you that are listening and all of you that are you know, going through your lives as believers. When you look at this whole situation, you think, I don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve salvation, certainly. We're in rebellion against the law all the time. But yet, we go to him, and he accepts us. It's not a matter of deserving it. It's not a matter of being qualified. It's not a matter of spending years studying and trying to understand it. So, Jesus at this point has emptied himself to come in flesh, to live in time and space. God has never, never does not live in time. That's why his name is I Am, because he doesn't live in time. Now, here is the second person of the Trinity, who always was God, is God, and always will be God, in an earthly body like ours, except for sin, living in time and space. He's emptied himself, and he's now ready to be manifested to Israel, which, of course, as he said to the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. The plan of salvation is from the Jews. If you don't study Torah, if you don't study the prophets, if you don't study the writings, you'll never completely understand the plan of salvation. You'll never completely understand who Jesus is, why he came, and why he did what he did. So he was ready to begin that now, the appointed time. He's going to be manifested now. And he tells John, we can't have time to read all the scriptures, but like I indicated already, he says, we have to fulfill all righteousness. I have to comply with all the ordinances of the covenant in order to do my mission. He mentions John the Baptist several times through the Gospels. And at this point, he knows at this time, he has to go through this, well, it's a mikvah. It's, in his case, it's, of course, 
special <laughs> in every way, but he knows that to start his mission, he has to do this. And, and, and it says in the scripture that he came out of the water immediately. He had no sin to confess. He was from heaven, but then the heaven opens above him, and the Trinity is manifested. All three persons of the Trinity are manifested at this very point. Because the Spirit comes then the form of a dove and comes on him. The voice of the Father is heard, and the Son is there in the water. So the Holy Spirit gives a kind of a public inauguration of this. Just like at the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the abyss. And all through the Torah and the prophets, the Messiah is called the Anointed One. Here, the Holy Spirit comes on him to prove that he's the Anointed One, confirms that he's the Eternal Son, and the Father is pleased. Oh, wow, the music's already playing. I don't know if I'm going to do more of this next week or not, but tune in, Gift of Grace Ministries, go to the website, and join us next week. Thank you.